Well, those are three hard words, aren't they? Don't give up. No matter what, don't give up, right? Can we all agree today that we're going to do that? Maybe, maybe not. Let me tell you about me. I'm a runner, okay? So when most people, when I talk to people about running, they go, well, well like, what are you running from? And I, like most of the time, just bad health, okay? So I run constantly, which is why I look so great up here, right? I'm so, I'm so wide, deep and wide, so to speak. Yeah, okay, thank you, Todd. So let me tell you about Friday's run, okay? So I'm on a 10-mile run Friday, and about mile six, seven, eight, somewhere around in there, some really weird things kind of start happening, like your legs start telling your brain, it's time to shut this puppy down. I'm tired. It's time to give up. But my brain and my heart keep telling my legs, no, no, you don't know the victory at the end. You just got to press on. You don't know what the victory is at the end. Okay, so maybe you're not a runner. I don't expect everybody to be, but maybe... One of these things sounds familiar to you, okay? Maybe you're a new Christian. And it seems like since you've accepted Jesus, everything's just gone south. Things have just got worse. And you're questioning, why? Why is that happening? And maybe, maybe you're just kind of tempted to give up a little bit. Or, or maybe you're a couple that's been married maybe a couple of years, somewhere around in there. Things are starting to get a little tough. And you start thinking... Maybe I'm just going to give up on this. Maybe it's just time to, to give up. Or, or maybe, maybe you're a, a middle-aged person who's lost a, a couple of jobs and just can't find work at all. And it's getting frustrating for you. And you're just tempted to give up. Or maybe, this is a good one, maybe you're parents of a teenager. And that teenager just keeps making crazy decisions, right? So as a parent, you're just thinking, ready to give up on him, her. Can't do that. Can't do that. Or maybe, maybe you're a young woman that's gone through a really rough breakup, divorce, separation, and you're just tempted to give up. Or maybe, this is a good one too, maybe you're a student that no matter how hard you study, you just can't seem to get it all together. You just can't make all the right grades or the right choices for that matter, and you're just ready to, ready to give up. Or, or maybe it's this one. Maybe you're parents and you have a, a sick child. And maybe when people come and, and visit you and want to talk to you about it, maybe you're just kind of tired of everybody saying, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And maybe you're just ready to give up because to you it's just not okay. So maybe one of those situations rings a little closer with you this morning than the runner, runner in me does. And a lot of times what's happened in, in those cases is maybe we've brought some things to God before and we've asked him to fix them, and he hasn't yet. And maybe we're just on the verge of giving up. So this message I'm going to deliver for you today comes from a guy named Kyle Eidelman. Kyle Eidelman is a pastor in Kentucky who writes a lot of small group material. He's just fantastic, man. So if you ever get a chance to read some of his books or something, I would encourage you to do that. He is really, really good at relating to people about just things like this. So here's what he's going to do. He's going to give us lots of scripture. I'm going to give you lots of scripture today that back up the don't give up, but back it up with scripture, okay? So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians. Now let me explain to you what's happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. These are brand new Christians. They are never, these are first century Christians. They've never been Christians before, so they didn't have any 
rules to follow or they didn't really have an example of what it was like before to be a Christian. So they're brand new at this and the, one of the first things that happens to them after they accept Jesus is, man, things get hard following God. Things get hard. They just get tough and man, they're confused. They're just perplexed, all those things, but they are just really confused. And maybe they're thinking, you know, things were better before I accept, before we started following God. Maybe that's what they're thinking, but, but either way, Things are tough on them now. So scripture is going to back that up. So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul's going to use, as he writes this, he's going to use a really interesting metaphor. He's going to talk about a jar of clay. I think I got a picture for that. Let's pop that thing up there real quick. So that's a jar of clay. So the first thing you're going to know is that when you drop a jar of clay, it's going to break more than likely. You see the pieces there. Some maybe have broken clean. Some maybe have broken jagged. Or, you know, if I just took that and chunked it down right here, it's just going to shatter. Well, that's, that's kind of what life's like, isn't it? When we get a, a hard knock, so to speak, we're going to break in some way or shape or form. But we're going to find out this morning that actually God's going to use that. Okay, we're going to find that out as we go through these scriptures. So we're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says this. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. So Paul is going to use this just jars of clay thing, so, and, and he knew it was going to work with these people because at this time in Corinth, pottery was like a big deal. So they totally got it when he talked about being a jar of clay and how we would be broken and things like that. They got it because that was real common for them, and they knew exactly what that meant. And, and what they also knew was that a jar of clay, whether it was real plain or very ornate and colorful, is still fragile. So they knew that. They could, they could, they could relate to that. And so in their case, probably they were tempted to just kind of give up at this point. So I'll ask you this question this morning. Was there a time in your life that you've given up on God and why? Maybe something bad happened that you weren't expecting or maybe you prayed, you know, God, don't let this happen and then it happened. But it, has there been a time in your life that you've given up on God? So when somebody says that to me, generally I think that, that when people give up on God, so to speak, I don't, I don't think it's a issue of whether or not they believe in God. I think it's an issue of God's absence in their life at that particular time. So Paul is going to continue on now, and he's going to talk to Christians who are broken. He's going to give them some information about faith, but he's not going to tell them this. He's not going to say that faith is acting like everything is good when it's really not, okay? That would be like standing in a thunderstorm and a pouring down rain and pretending it's not raining. So he's not going to do that. He's, but he's going to share some, some information with them about faith. We're going to pick it up in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. These words, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but I get up again. No one ever is going to bring me down. Pastor Robert wanted me to sing that for you all this morning. No, no, no. I wasn't going to say it. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We are pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Pressures cannot crush you. Nobody's saying you won't feel a pressure. 
But what we're saying is that pressures can't crush you. Now we're going to look back in the Old Testament. We're going to look in, in the book of Exodus. So let me describe to you a little bit about what's happening in chapter 14 of Exodus. So the Israelites have left Pharaoh's, and Pharaoh's decided, first of all, that, that that was a mistake. He shouldn't have let them go, so he's going to send his army after them. Okay? So the Israelites are wandering around in the desert. Well, they, they come up to a point where they're going to be pressed. Okay? They have a sea on one side, and they have an army on the back side. So there's certain death there, right? Because they're probably not going to be able to swim the sea, so to speak, and they're probably not going to be able to defeat Pharaoh's army because it was strong, man. It was really strong. So here's their response. When they were pressed on every side, literally, here's their response. This is Exodus, Exodus 14, verses 10 through 12. It says, as Pharaoh's army approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? Well, first of all, he never said that. We said, they lied, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. They never said that. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Well, they, they never really said that either. But here's what they did. So when the pressure was on, they panicked. How many of us can relate to that? When the pressure's on, man, that's our first response is we're going to panic generally. And the second thing they did, this is important to the story, is they blamed and complained. They blamed Moses for all of their troubles. They kept saying that it would have been better to have stayed in captivity, honestly. They blamed him for all their troubles. So they did the blame and complain game. How many of us do that all the time? So here's what happens, though. When you start to blame and complain, you kind of start to feel like the victim a little bit, right? And when you feel like the victim, it's easy to quit. All right, we're going to continue on. Exodus 14, 14 verses 13 and 14. Uh, this is awesome. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Now, they must have thought he was a nut. Because how many of you can stay calm when you're pressed on every side? I, pff, guilty. I probably won't be able to do that. But God will fight for you. He will. Here's the challenge. This is interesting, too. God is very rarely ever early, but he has a tendency to show up just in time. <laughs> so if I'm putting the story together, if I'm going to be the writer, I'm going to say, hey, God, um, Let's not let the army leave Egypt at all. Let's keep them there. Or let us deal with the army but not the sea. But do we have to deal with both? So the message in Exodus 14, 18 sums it up like this. This is, this is beautiful. This is God's words in, in verse 18 from the message. It says, I'll use Pharaoh. I'll use his entire army, his chariots, his horsemen to put my glory on display so that the Egyptians will realize that I am God. <laughs> Nothing's too hard for God, right? So he's going to use all of that to be able to put his glory on display. There's something about pressure, guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen. There's something about pressure that lets God's light shine through. 
That's what it means to be a jar of clay. There's something about being in a position that you have nowhere left to turn that God has an opportunity to, to demonstrate his power and his strength in our lives. That's what it means to be a jar of clay. So if you're a jar of clay, the treasure's in you. We learned that in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It's up here again. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God. It's not ours. And that allows for God's power to be seen through you. And I'm going to say this, that God's power shines best in us when we're cracked, right? Just like a light in a clay jar would shine better if it was cracked. Here's some examples of that. Uh, I had a friend. His child kept getting sick constantly, kept going to the hospital. But every time they were in the hospital, the mom and dad would always talk to the nurses and their doctors about Jesus. They would share Jesus with them. Not only that, when they had friends come and visit them, they would introduce their friends to the doctors and the nurses that they had shared Jesus with. That's God's glory shining through that crack, them sharing Jesus. Or I hear this story a lot, too. If somebody's in a small group or a Bible study, and maybe they lose a job, and, man, they're just, just really desperate can't make the house note, and, and, and what happens? People, sh people show up and help them, give some money, help them make their house note. Or a young mom loses her husband and, and her kid's father, and somebody steps up to help around the house, take care of things. That's God's glory being put on display. All right, so we're in Exodus. We got the Red Sea on one side, the army on the other. How would you handle that? Think about that for a minute. What the word tells us is that we are to be still and let God fight for us. All right, so how do you know when you're at that point? You can't do anything else. You've done all you can do. No matter how much you want to change this person's mind or that person's mind, you can't do it. No matter how much you want to control this person's feelings or that person's feelings, you can't do it. No matter how much you might want to change that diagnosis you just got from the doctor, you don't have the power to do that. You can't do it. So what do you do? You be still, and you let God fight for you. We are pressed. Yeah, we're pressed. We're not crushed. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, back there. It goes on to say that we are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Uncertainty cannot discourage us. Are we confused? Yep. Are there some things that happen to us we don't understand? Yep. How many times have you said, now I'm going to ask God that when I get to heaven, Right? So there's lots of things that we don't understand, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Why is that? This is so cool to me. Because God knows what we don't know, and he sees what we can't see. That's what faith is. Hebrews 11 tells us this, that faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's our evidence of the things that we cannot see. That's what faith is. So God knows what we don't know. He sees what we can't see. So are there times we're confused? Yeah. Is there a story going on in our lives right now that maybe we don't totally understand? Probably. Because we don't see the end. God sees the end. He knows already what's ahead of us. He sees already what's ahead of us. You all have a story. We all do. 
We're going to hear a story this morning. We asked Samantha McEachern to share her testimony with you on video. It's powerful. It really is. I want you to watch the screens as she, as she shares this. Um, when I was growing up, uh, most of my family did drink, so I thought that I would do it too. I wanted to fit in in any way that I could. I was more of a follower than a leader, and I just wanted to feel accepted. So I started going out and partying like any 18-year-old would when I got out of high school. Um, I lost two jobs, dropped out of college. I ended up going down the wrong path. I ended up moving to Vicksburg to try to get away from the path that I was going down. Um, I was doing the same thing I was doing back home and then in by the path of God I met my husband who knew that I was on the wrong path in life and I needed to go, I needed to get away. So we decided to move back to my hometown and then just a few short months later I found out I was pregnant with our first son. So things were good after I had him. Um, we were happy, we were talking about getting married, we eventually got engaged and got married and then we started struggling financially. My grandfather got diagnosed with breast cancer and um, ended up passing away a month later from uh, complications of the mastectomy. So that hit me pretty hard. I started um, having depression and anxiety. Two years later, we decided to move back to Vicksburg and we were doing good. Um, we bought our first house. We were both had very good jobs. And then in 2016, my stepdad passed away from cancer as well. I started really struggling with the depression and anxiety. I um, started drinking more, getting back into drinking again. Um, and then I was just starting to get dependent on my alcohol to just get me through the day. Just six months after my stepdad passed away, my husband's stepmother passed away. So then I was just so angry with the world and with God and I thought why would he take so many people that I love away. We were really struggling at that time um, in our marriage financially. Um, I had just destroyed everything that I could. I was in a really, really dark place. Um, I ended up leaving my husband um, to do what I wanted to and I um, just got on a very dark path in life. Um, I was face down in sin, addiction, and lies. Um, then in, on the night of February 10th, 2017, I almost died. Th that is the night that God tapped me on the shoulder and put his hand on me and said, come to me, I will save you. And I knew then that I had to get my life back in order and that I was ready to be saved. I made the decision to go to rehab and I went, I completed 30 days. I found God while I was in rehab. I got more involved in church and the members of the church, they all welcomed me with open arms and never judged me. Um, I just felt like God put me in that position and brought me through all that for a reason. 
In April of 2017, my family and I got baptized. That is when we decided to give our life to God every day. My husband and I worked on our marriage. We are stronger than ever now, and we have God as our number one, and that is why I am here to tell my story today. God has saved me and made me the person I am today and taught me to love myself and love other people. And without God, I would not be where I am today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. That's really hard to do, whether you're standing up here saying that live or, or recording it. Man, that is really hard to do. So y'all love on her. Um, that's really, that is really hard to do. So God's writing a story, okay? So we don't always see the end, do we? We don't always see it. God knows what we don't know. He sees what we can't see. Man, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad for that today? All right, so back to, back to the story here. Kyle Eidelman, the guy I've been talking about, <laughs> he tells this story about when he was younger. Now, of course, he's like younger than me. So anyway, when he was younger, he used to go visit his, his grandparents all the time. And so back then, he says, didn't have cell phones or Netflix or any of that kind of stuff. So he mostly got bored. He said, but his grandmother had this uh, quirky thing. She really loved puzzles. But here's what she would do. She would go to the store buy a puzzle, bring it home and put it together, and then she'd chunk the box and put the puzzle pieces in a little Ziploc baggie and put them up in her, in her closet because she didn't like the, the clutter that all the boxes made. Well, what's on the box? The picture. You ever tried to put together a puzzle without the picture? Isn't that what life's like sometimes? Gets a little confusing sometimes, but here's the deal. You just got to keep working at it, man. You just got to keep working at the puzzle. All right, we're going to hop in the book of Romans for a little while. And I told the early service this morning that I'm guilty of saying a lot, by the way. This is my favorite scripture. Or, you know, next week I'll say, this is my favorite scripture. And finally the next week I'll say, and everybody goes, well, I thought you said that was your favorite scripture. No. This, so, but honestly, today, this is my favorite scripture of all time. Romans 8:28 says this. This is good. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to the purposes for them. Now, that doesn't mean everything's good, does it? Because it's not. Not everything's good. What it means is that God uses, causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Our job, just to keep putting the puzzle together. Just keep putting the puzzle together. Keep putting your story together. All right, we're going to hop back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is verse 9 again. It says, we're hunted down, but we're not abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Opposition cannot destroy us. It can't. Romans 8 tells us that if God is for us, then who could be against us? Now, you might say, well, so-and-so is against me, so-and-so is against me, and so-and-so is against me. But the question is... You believe God's for you. If God is for us, who could be against us? So how do I know that? How do I know God is for us? I'm going to back that up with some more scripture from Romans 8. This is verse 32. It says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Now think about it. If God gave us what was most 
precious, most important to him, if he freely gave that, doesn't it just make sense he's going to take care of everything else? I'm not looking at my circumstances if I'm perplexed or pressed. I'm not looking at my circumstances. I'm looking at the cross. Romans 8.35 says this. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? <laughs> this is good. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Trouble and calamity can't separate us from God's love. It can't. We know we're going to have trouble and calamity, but what this tells us is not going to separate us from his love. Verse 37 says, Romans 8, 37, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So here's the deal. If you're dealing with something now, even in your life, that's just got you pressed beyond measure or confused beyond measure, I want you to know that your victory has already been won. Your victory's already been won. Don't determine God's love for you in the moment. Victory has been won. You are fighting not, you are not fighting for victory. You are fighting from victory. It's already been won for you. Romans 8, 38, 39 says this. I love it. And I'm convinced that nothing could ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell could separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't that good news? All right, so here we are. We're hunted down. But we're not abandoned. Opposition can't stop us. 2 Corinthians 4, 9 again says, We are hunted down, but we're not abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but man, we are not destroyed. So what does it mean to get knocked down? Could be lots of different things. The phrase knocked down is an idea of an immediate concern, so to speak. It's a sudden emergency an un unanticipated hit or a gut punch it's like everything's going great and then all of a sudden wham out of nowhere a late night phone call or a bad accident or something like that that's what it means to be knocked down but we're not knocked out alright so we got to finish up the story in Exodus okay Many of you know it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize it. I'm, we're not going to read all the verses, but I'm going to summarize it because it's incredibly important to what we're talking about today. So the Israelites got the sea on one side, got the army on the other. So here's what the Bible tells us. Moses raised his hand over the seas, says the, par the waters parted, the wind blew for hours and hours and hours and hours, and dried up the ground so the Israelites could walk through. Sidebar. If it was me, I'd be walking through looking at this water piled up and making fun of the sharks or something. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just think about that, how incredible that would have been. So they get through. They get to the other side. 
army tries to follow. Scripture tells us that God actually confuses the chariots and the horses, and they kind of start spinning around, and the water comes together, it overtakes them, and they're gone. They're destroyed. Remember when Moses told the people, the army you see today you will not ever, you will not see again? God had already taken care of that. So in a group this large, there's lots of different stories this morning. And I'm, I'm going to wrap up with this. I don't know what your story is today, but I know there's a chance that several of you have come in here today with something that's just tearing you up, man. It's just eating you up. It's eating you alive. What I want you to know today, a couple of things. God sometimes uses the things that look like they're going to crush us or drown us. He sometimes, sometimes uses those things to save us, actually. He does. And this is the most important part. He's a right on time God. Amen? He doesn't always show up early. I have no patience. I'd like for him to show up yesterday. He doesn't always show up early. But he's never late, ever. He's always right on time. Always. You just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep working on the puzzle. Your story will be written. Again, this morning, I know... I know several of you have got things that are like just wearing you out, beating you down. So we're going to sing one more song. And I'm going to ask Pastor Robert to come up. So while we're singing this last song with you, man, if you've got something that's just, again, just, just tearing you up, and you need somebody to pray with you about that, I, I'm going to invite you to one of two things. Either come and have him pray with you about that, or just, man, come and kneel and give it to God right here today. He's here. He's always on time. He's ready for whatever it is that's bothering us. So right now, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray over us. And then we'll continue on. God, I, I, just, I know, God, that you are here. Lord, I know you are capable of handling anything that we've got in our lives today that's burdening us. It's just wearing us out, weighing us down. So God, just in the moment that we have now, in the stillness of this moment, God, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit would speak to that person today who just can't seem to take another step. Again, God, we know you're always on time. You're always for us. You're never against us. So right now, God, help us. Help us to see. Help us to see you. Help us to see you, how much you love us and how much you care and how much you are ready, willing, and able right now to handle anything that is against us. I pray all that in Jesus' holy and precious name.